This morning we're going to wrap up a little two-week series we started together last Sunday, and we began talking about Back to the Basics. And we said, uh, I share with you that uh, every year during our 21-day fast, I really take some time personally just to seek the Lord and, and really just ask God for vision, for, for direction, for clarity for the church for 2017. And, and this year the Lord really gave me five things, five truths that the Lord really just kind of deposited in my heart. As I began to look at them, they really were all back to the basic truths, simple things that God is calling us to do, calling us to continually focus on uh, and, really be and really emphasize those things that take us back to the basics of Christianity. What does it really mean to serve God? What does it really mean to be the local church uh, and really to live out our faith in a very practical way? Uh, the scripture is found in the book of Corinthians, and we'll look at that together. And the Bible says this there in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God Himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so I want to encourage you today to think about that fact. The Lord just said, Keith, I want us to go back to the basics. I want us to go back to the simplicity of what it really means to serve Christ. The simplicity of what does it mean to really be the local church. And, and I found out in my own personal life uh, that we as people uh, have an amazing gift of complicating things. Have y'all noticed that? We can take really simple things and we can make them complicated. As a matter of fact, we kind of sometimes uh, get, we actually stumble over simplicity because we want to do something great. Let me say that again. We stumble over simplicity because we want to do something great. Now, now let me just give you a great example. The story in the Bible of a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a leper. And the Bible says that Naaman went to the man of God, and the man of God told him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and he would be clean, be healed of his leprosy. And the Bible says that when Naaman left the prophet, the man of God, he was angry. And he was mad, and he was not going to go dip in the Jordan River. And his servant came to him and said, you know what, Naaman? If he would have asked you to do something great, you would have done it. But he asked you to do something so simple as go dip in the river and God will make you whole. And I'm convinced that we are guilty like Naaman. That we stumble over the simple things because we desire the great things. And God, I want to do something great for you. And God, I want to make a great mark for you. And God, I want to be big for you. And God says, then be simple. Be simple. Be willing to do the simple things and the big things will happen. Amen? As a matter of fact, big things are really an accumulation of a lot of simple things that we do day in and day out in our lives. And when you think about your own life, I mean, think about this for a minute. The people that have really impacted your life are not those one-time wonder people, right? It's not those people that just blew in and blew out, right? It's those people that consistently loved you and consistently encouraged you and consistently prayed for you and consistently reached out to you. It is those people that did those simple things, not those big, you know, those one-time wonders, people who blow in and something big happens for one day and then they're gone. <laughs> you never hear from them, you never see them again. It's those people in your life 
that have just consistently been there. Those are the people that have really marked your life and my life for good. And so it's a simplistic gospel that God is really calling us back to. So our first point, we looked at it last week, we looked at the first two, is the first thing the Lord said to me is simply this. He said, Keith, our best is not enough. Our best efforts are not enough because if God's not in it, it won't work. And we said this one simple thought literally just drives us to a place of prayer and dependency upon God. Now this doesn't mean we shouldn't do our best. It just means we have to understand that we can't put our confidence in our excellence. We have to put our confidence in His presence. See, it's His presence that saves people. It is His presence that sets the people free. It is His anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's not our songs or our sermons. It is His Spirit that sets people free. And so it creates in us that, hey, we need to do our best. We need to operate out of a spirit of excellence. And anything less really is a disgrace. Let me just say that to you. If you do anything for God and do it half-heartedly, you are disgracing the name of the one who died for you. But it also means that I recognize that my best effort without His presence will never accomplish the task. Right? We said last Sunday, our goal is not to attract a crowd. Our goal is to advance the kingdom of God. That's our goal. And we can't do that without the presence of God. We can't do that without the anointing of the Holy Spirit that saves people, sets people free, and brings radical transformation in people's lives. Amen? We need His presence. The second thing we talked about last Sunday is that we said, the Lord said, we need to remember who we are. Right? And we said, we are that church. Right? We're that church. We're the church that helps people. We're the church that loves the people other people don't want to love. We're the church that does the things other churches don't want to do. We're the church that goes places other people don't want to go, reach people other people don't want to reach. We are that church. We are a spiritual family. We are the body of Christ. And we are that church. Amen? Well, I want to do something this morning to celebrate who we are. Amen? I'm going to ask Pastor Rick and Dusty and Jeff and Michelle, Shad and a few guys will come up front. You saw this morning in our video announcements that on February the 19th we're going to have a housewarming party for our Women's Sunshine House. And you may or may not know that we actually have just opened our women's home January the 1st of this year. Amen? And let's give the Lord. Come on. I'm going to go ahead and hand that to you. A little over four years ago, Pastor Rick and Dusty, by the way, if you don't know who this awesome couple are, is, uh, are, that's some good English, isn't it? Are. I need to be in a pirate movie. Arg. All right, y'all miss out. Uh, <laughs> might as well have a little fun while we're up here, right? <laughs> Pastor Rick and Dusty are Celebrate Recovery Pastors, and uh, they have been here with us how many years now? Eleven years, Dusty knew, just like that. Rick had no clue, Dusty knew. <laughs> They've been with us for eleven years, and uh, without a doubt, two of the most anointed people to do what they do. Uh, when they came as a result of them and what God had called them to do, we began Celebrate Recovery, and uh, God has been touching lives and changing lives ever since. Uh, as a part of their heart for Celebrate Recovery, uh, birth, God birthed the vision for the Sunshine House, and really a desire uh, to create another level of reaching people uh, that were broken and hurting and needed an opportunity to see the 
restoration power of God made real in their lives. So a little over four years, we opened the first Men's Sunshine House, uh, and Pastor Rick for three years led that home. I mean, he just wor worked himself uh, almost around the clock and really just poured his life out to see that house get off the ground. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we brought in uh, Brother Jeff Shadden, and uh, Jeff is now our director over our men's home and uh, oversees the operations of the house, does an amazing job, got a great heart to see men be free and uh, walk out what God has. Uh, but a part of our vision four and a half years ago when we opened the men's home was to see a women's home also come into existence. And uh, January the 1st of this year, 2017, we opened the doors to our first women's home. Amen. Uh, we have nine ladies that are currently in our house, and we can house 16 uh, ladies, I believe, and we're going to hold it up for 10 for this first year, right? Yes, Michelle is patiently waiting. So uh, Michelle Shadden is Jeff's wife, and Michelle is our director over the women's home, and uh, just doing an amazing job, very excited. And so uh, Pastor Rick, Dustin, we'll let you all say a few words if you want to, and just address the people. Well, uh, of course, I'm not saying nothing about y'all, but if obviously you look at us, we're not smart enough to do too much or nothing. <laughs> So, but God says he'll give, you a de, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I mean, and he's not talking about you desiring a new truck or car in reality. He's talking about putting a desire in your heart. Amen. And so, obviously, we came from drugs and alcohol. And when we were set free, the desire he placed in our heart was to see other people set free. And, uh, and, and God's just done some wonderful things, but he's not done yet. I mean, this is just the beginning of what God's going to do. So, you know, I love y'all and I appreciate y'all. And so does Dusty. I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, for vision. And I want to ask all of you to be praying for the men and women in the Sunshine House, but not only them, to continue to pray for those that are lost out in darkness. Because I know if it wouldn't have been for people praying for me eight years ago, I, w I might still be lost there. So just continue to pray for them, and we love y'all. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God for awesome people, amen, and what a great work, and we're very excited uh, to be a part. So I just wanted to let you know that your prayers, your support, your effort, your energy uh, is making a difference. Uh, and I was thinking about just our men's house, and now that we've been open a little over four years, the graduates that have come through it, how individuals such as CB, who was in our last service, their leaders in our church, uh, his family has been restored, his marriage has been put back together, and so many amazing things, so many testimonies have happened as people have come through the Sunshine House. William sitting over there, a great testimony of the goodness of God, he and his wife, and, and just seeing the Lord bring lives back together again. And, uh, and that is possible uh, because we're willing to be that church. And we're willing to love people and reach people uh, that many times other people are intimidated by. And that's not a slight against any church. Uh, it is an honor that God's called us to be that church. And uh, every church has its own focus and its own mission. And praise God, we have ours. And, uh, and what an opportunity we have to, meet, to see God make a difference in people's lives and how that our lives are being changed in the process. Amen? All right, well, let's look at number three today. We'll kind of get where we wanted to go today. Uh, and that is, the Lord said, I want you to measure everything uh, by the vision and by the mission, he said, uh, that he has given us. To measure everything by the vision and by the mission 
that He has given us. Let, let me give you a great scripture, Proverbs uh, 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision or revelation, the people perish or the people cast off restraints, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. So if you don't have a vision for your life, then guess what? Anything goes, right? There's no restraints. You can just live any way you want to live. You can spend your money however you want to spend it. You can spend your time however you want to spend it. You can get up when you want to get up. You can go to bed when you want to get up, go to bed, because you have no vision. But when you flip that verse over, here's what it says. Where there is a vision, there are divine restraints. Vision creates divine restraints. Vision creates parameters that govern your life. And one of the ways you know you have a godly vision is because you have some holy no's. Right? Because when you have a vision from God, you have to say, no, I can't do that. And no, I can't spend my money there. And no, I can't spend my time there. And no, I can't invest energy there. Why? Because I'm going somewhere. Right? I've got a vision. And when you have a vision, all of a sudden there are divine restraints. And you have to resist some things and say no to some things. Why? Because you have to say yes to what God's wanting to do in your life. And so all of a sudden where there is vision, there are divine restraints. And let me just encourage you in this. That's why it's so important that you have a personal vision for your life. And when I say a personal vision, I don't mean you've got a 25-year plan, right? I mean that you have took some time to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to focus on right now in this season of my life? Maybe for the next three months, the next six months, the next year. God, what are some things that you want me to focus on? What is it that really matters to you? There's a lot that I can do, but what do you want me to do? There's a lot of improvements I can make, but what are the improvements that you want me to make in my own heart and my life? God, I want to focus on those things. And when you do that, all of a sudden, it creates divine restraints. And you're able to say no to some things that become distractions. Even though they're not bad things or wrong things, they're just not the God thing for your life. And the same is true of us as a church. Why do we need vision? Why do we need mission? And why do we have to stay true to the vision and the mission that God has for us? Because it creates the parameters that we're called to operate in. And not only does it create the parameters that we're called to operate in, but when you operate outside of God's vision for your life, you operate outside of your anointing. So you're not anointed to do everything, but you are anointed to do some things. And God gives you vision. Why? Because God wants to utilize the anointing that is upon you. And if we're not careful, we'll become jealous of other people's vision, and we'll try to do what God's called somebody else to do, but there won't be an anointing, and it'll be frustrating and discouraging. But when you operate in your anointing, guess what happens? You see results. All of a sudden, God works. Lives are changed. The, the, the vision is fulfilled, and you move forward into what God has for your life. So let me give you our vision. Our vision statement is real simple. Our vision is simply this, to reach out and raise up. To reach out into a broken, hurting world and raise people up into their full potential in Christ. That's our vision. We want to reach out and we want to raise up. Now our mission is how we're going to do that. How are we going to reach out and raise up? We're going to win souls, we're going to make disciples, and we're going to destroy the works of the devil. Let's talk about our vision for a minute. 
to reach out into a world that is hurting and broken that desperately needs to know Christ. How many of y'all know we live in a hurting, broken world? And you don't have to be a drug addict or an alcoholic to be hurting and broken. You can be a very successful business person and go home every night with a broken heart. Go home every day with a wounded place on the inside of you. Live your life without purpose, without zeal, without understanding, without peace, and without joy. And you can have more money than the world could spend and never know real peace. We live in a broken, hurting world. All you got to do is turn on the TV, right? You see all these crazy protesters. You know what I see when I see protesters out in the street protesting for sin and immorality? I see a broken, hurting world. I see people that are so confused they don't know the difference between right and wrong. I see people that are so confused they can't recognize the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And they're flooding the streets of our cities, protesting out of their brokenness, out of their foolishness, out of their deception. Man, we see the world. We ought not be angry at them. We ought to be broken for them. Because that is only a reflection of how far away our world has grown from God. People desperately need Jesus. And our job is to reach out into that world. And then once we reach out into that world, our job is to raise people up into their full potential in Christ. Let me ask a question. How many of you in this room have kids or grandkids? Raise your hand. All right. There you go. How many of you don't have kids yet, but one day you want to? Lord help you, Jesus. All right. So, (laughs) here's what we're going to talk about. If you're raising kids, you know this. Let me tell you something, something about raising kids. When you raise your kids up, and hopefully your goal as a good parent is to raise your kids up, and you want to see them fulfill their greatest potential. You want to see them become what God has called them to be. You know what's going to require of you? A lot of work. Right? Raising kids is work. It is a lot of work. And you know what's amazing about raising kids is that it costs you everything and it costs them nothing, right? You buy it all, right? You buy the food and the diapers and the bottles when they're little, and then you buy all the stuff, and the bigger they get, the more they eat, right? I mean, we got Levi, he's 16, pretty good size, healthy young man, right? He likes food. And we pay for it all, right? We pay for all. And then they go to college, and you pay for them to go to college, and you help them get cars, and you pay for insurance, and, and you do all this stuff. And you know what? It's worth it. Isn't it worth it? Now, every day it may not feel like it's worth it. <laughs> Some days you're like, is it really worth it? But then you have those good days, and you're like, oh, it's worth it. You know, they actually say something intelligent, and you're like, praise God, it's working. You know? They make a good decision, and you're like, yes, thank you, Lord. It's working. It's so worth it, God. It's worth it. And the reality is, is it is. In the midst of the hard times and the struggles and the challenges, all that it costs us, all the time, all the energy, all the sleepless nights, all the things that we go through to raise our kids up, at the end of the day, we know it's worth it. And we do it. Why do we do it? Because we love them. That's it. There really is only one motivating factor. We love our children. And because we love them, we make sacrifices for them so they can become the person that we know God's called them to be. 
Have you ever had your kid just being really crazy? You're like, you're better than that. That's not who you are. That's not what God's called you to be. You can rise above that. And why do parents fight for that? Why do they fight for that? Because they know. They know what God has put in their hearts of their children. They see the potential that's within them. And they're willing to pour their lives out and literally lay their lives down in order to see their kids become what God's called them to be. Let me just say this to you. That's what God's called us to do as a church. See, we're called to reach out and raise people up to their full potential. And you know what that means? That means there's going to be a lot of dirty diapers. A lot. There's going to be a lot of sleepless nights. A lot. There's going to be a lot of tears, a lot of emotional blood that we shed as we pour our lives out. And some days you're going to think it's not worth it, but other days if you'll persevere, you'll know, man, praise God, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I said all that to say this because there is a crazy idea that a lot of times as Christians, we think it should be easy. Well, if I'm doing what God's called me to do, it'll be easy. Well, not necessarily so. <laughs> number one, there's going to be resistance from the enemy. And number two, the biggest problem is we deal with people who have flesh. I mean, I found out when I say, boy, this is really hard. Ministry is hard. What I really mean when I say ministry is hard is it's hard working with people that don't want to change. It's hard working with people that don't want to die to their selves. It's hard leading somebody to water when they don't want to drink. God, that's just so hard. And it is. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. But you know what? The same principle that we apply to our children is the same principle we need to apply in the church. Guess what? At the end, it'll be worth it. We can't quit because it's hard. So what? Somebody you're discipling, encouraging, loving, leading, makes mistakes. Guess what? You did too. Well, they're worse than I am. Probably, but that's okay. Right? Just keep on. Why? It's worth it. And we got to remember that. We got to remember why we do what we do. We invest in people and we love people and we sacrifice for people and we give of ourselves so other people can rise up and know who Jesus is and walk in the potential that God has for their life. It's not selfish. How I many you know parenting really isn't a selfish thing? It is a selfless thing. You give of yourself so they can succeed. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what this church is all about. Well, Pastor Keith, it sounds like it's going to require a lot of me. It is. But it's the greatest journey you can live. Why would you want to waste your life on something that really never produced fruit? Showing up to church and going home doesn't produce fruit. It's when you engage in the church, when you engage in the body. When you engage in the spiritual family and you start saying, you know what, I'll, not only do I have natural sons and daughters, I need to have some spiritual sons and daughters. I need to start investing in people. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what God's called us to do. And it's not easy and it's not always fun and it definitely isn't glamorous and sometimes it just flat out stinks. But it's worth it. Right? It's worth it. See, that's our vision, to reach out and raise people up. Pastor Keith, that sounds, that sounds difficult. It is. 
But you know what I found out a long time ago? I found out anything of value and anything of worth is going to cost you something. You're not going to have a great family because you paid no price. You're going to have a great family because you paid a high price. And we're not going to have a great church because we paid no price. We're going to have a great church because we paid a high price to see people grow and become what God has called them to be. So we exist. How are we going to do that? We're going to win souls. We're going to make disciples. We're going to destroy the works of the devil. Win souls. Let's talk about that for a second. We are here because we, our desire is to create an evangelistic culture where we buy into the idea that it is our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ to introduce Him to everybody we meet. To introduce Him to the people that don't know Him. And it really is simple, right? It really is simple. Evangelism is really like going to your Christmas party at work, right? You ever, you ever go to your Christmas party at work, maybe your, your wife or your husband, whoever it is, goes with you, and they've never met a lot of the people you work with, and what do you do when you go to a Christmas party? If you've got good manners, this is what you do. You say, hey, Bill, man, good to see you. This is my wife, Kelly. It's not weird. It's not awkward. You just automatically introduce your spouse, right? If you have good manners, you don't ignore your spouse. You introduce your spouse. This is my wife, Kelly. I want you to meet her. That's evangelism. Evangelism is when you meet somebody, you introduce your friend, Jesus, to them. Your Savior, your Lord, your Redeemer. Right? Because if I went somewhere with Chris and I met somebody I didn't know, even though he's not my wife, praise God. Right? He's my friend. And so I'd say, hey, hey man, how you doing? This is my friend Chris. You know what? Same thing with Jesus. Evangelism is, is all about just simply introducing our Savior, our Redeemer, our best friend to the people that we meet. And it doesn't have to be weird, and it doesn't have to be awkward, and it doesn't have to be crazy. I'm, I'm going to show you actually. Let me show you how you can do all three of these things on your job and never get fired. Right? Let me, let me show you how you can do it. So it's this simple. Win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and while you're at work, somebody's going to share a struggle or a problem. Right? Happens every day at work, right? People talk about, man, this went wrong at home. Me and my wife were arguing. Man, the kids didn't come home Friday night. I don't know if my wife lost her job. I don't know if we're going to be able to pay the bills. Man, this is happening. That's happening. Somebody's sick. Somebody was diagnosed with cancer. That happen on y'all's jobs? People talk all the time about their problems, their struggles, their challenges. So this is how you do it right here. It's really simple. Somebody shares a struggle. And as they walk off, you walk off behind them and say, hey, Bill, I'm just going to pick on Bill today, right? Hey, Bill. Man, I'm sorry to hear about you and your wife. You care if I pray with you? In 30 seconds, don't scream, don't be loud, don't be weird. 30 second little quiet prayer. Just, just pray with Bill in the back hallway of the office. Just, just a real simple prayer. In that moment, what you did, in that one moment, that 30-second prayer began to destroy the works of the devil because Bill had lost hope when he came in there that day. And in 30 seconds, you restored hope to him. In 30 seconds, you ministered the hope of God into his heart. And that prayer began to resonate on the inside of him. And for the first time, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, maybe in a year, Bill began to think, maybe there is hope for my family. And then here's how it works. This is awesome. 30-second prayer. Bam, that's all. You walk away. The next day, you see Bill. 
casually walk up to him. Hey, Bill, I just want to let you know, last night when me and my wife went to bed, we prayed for you and your wife. Now, don't say that unless you did that, right? Don't lie to Bill. <laughs> that would be wrong. Don't do that. So you and your wife pray for Bill and his wife, and the next day you say, hey, Bill, man, I just want you to know, me and my wife, we prayed for y'all last night. And then you say this, hey, why don't you let me buy you lunch one day this week? And then Friday, you go eat lunch with Bill. And you're sitting there eating a hamburger with Bill. And you say, you know what, Bill, man, I've been thinking about and praying about you and your wife. And I was thinking about our marriage. And you know what? The thing that really changed our marriage was when we gave our hearts to Jesus. Have you ever done that, Bill? Just that simple. Just, just that simple. Not weird, not flaky, not goofy, just that simple. That's just genuine concern and care for people that says, you know what, in that little moment, I can win souls, I can make disciples, I can destroy the works of the devil and do it all on my job and never get fired. And I don't have to make a scene. But I can begin to live a lifestyle that wins souls, makes disciples, destroys the works of the devil because I become attentive to who God has called me to be. And let me give you another thought here about vision. So our vision, our mission, help keep the main thing the main thing. Our vision, our mission, help keep the main thing the main thing. See, because it's really easy for us as Christians to lose sight of the main thing. And we begin to minor, we begin to major on the minors. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, churches have a tendency... They start out with a vision to win souls and make disciples, and after a little while, the focus goes from out there to in here. And all of a sudden, it becomes about us. Well, this is what I want, and this is what I like, and this is what I prefer. And all of a sudden, we begin to think the church exists for our comfort instead of for His glory. And so why do we need vision? Why do we need mission? Because we need to be reminded that the main thing is the main thing. Man, if I can be comfortable, that's wonderful. But my comfort's not the goal. If I can enjoy everything we do, man, they sung my favorite song today, and I love that sermon Pastor Keith preached today. That was just what I needed to hear. If all those things happen, that is wonderful, glorious, and good. But we don't exist to turn our focus inward. We exist so we can be empowered to go outward and reach a world that needs to know Him. And the good news is, is as we do that, we find joy. We find peace. We find satisfaction. We find fulfillment. The last part of that statement says that our vision, our mission helps us to define success. Define success. That's important. Because if you're not careful, you begin to define success, especially as churches. I'm just going to tell you, as a pastor, man, there's all, kind of, all kinds of definitions of what it means to have a successful church. All kinds of pressure to do this and to do that and look like this and be like that and, and attract like this and do that. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we begin to fall into the mold and we begin to define our success by the standard of the world instead of by the mission and the vision that God birthed us into existence with. 
And so we said it last week, and I said it today, our goal is not to attract a crowd. Our goal is to advance the kingdom. That's our goal. Our goal is to win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. That is success. Are we doing that? Let me tell you something. A resounding yes. Right? Over 150 people, I shared this last week, over 150 people on Sunday morning accepted Christ. Over 50 people accepted uh, the Lord through Celebrate Recovery. Over 300 people, we don't even talk about this ministry. We have a Sunday afternoon jail ministry led by Brother Jim, who's our treasure. He leads the largest soul winning ministry in the church. Over 300 people last year committed or recommitted their life to Christ. Over 500 people as a result of the ministries and the work of this church, your church, either committed or recommitted their life to Jesus Christ. Is that success? You bet it is. Amen? We saw over 100 people last year go through our encounter weekends. We saw over 270 people regularly commit to attending small groups here at Liberty Church. We've seen hundreds go through our connection track to get connected to a team and get involved in a group as they're growing in their relationship with God. We see people set free week in and week out through Celebrate Recovery, through Encounter Weekends, through Discipleship Ministry, through Sunday morning services as the chains of bondage are broken, marriages are restored, addictions are broken, bondages, uh, tormenting spirits leave people's minds, anxiety and depression flees. Is it a win? Yes, it's a win. Now, why is that important? It's important because... I talked to pastors. We just came back from a pastor's conference in uh, Louisiana, and I talked to pastors. Man, how's the church doing? Man, it's great. You talk to Christians. Man, how's church? How's your church? Man, it's great. Man, I just really felt the presence of God. Man, that's awesome. Man, I, I, got, I got chill bumps at church yesterday. Man, that's wonderful. Man, I shouted in church yesterday. That is great. Somebody fell out on the floor in church yesterday. Man, that is awesome. We had three tongues and seven interpretations. Man, that is powerful. Fourteen prophecies came out of, the, out of the church yesterday. Man, that is amazing. And none of those are success. Win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. Now, if those prophetic words bring encouragement and exhortation to the body of Christ, like the word we heard this morning did, that's a win. Amen? How many of y'all received something from what was said this morning from Rob? Amen? That's a win. But you know what? A lot of times we just build success in our churches around, boy, I felt good. Man, they sung my favorite song, I Got Chill Bumps. Are we spiritually? I got glory bumps. Woo, you know. Now let me tell you something. There is nothing like feeling the presence of God. Nothing like it. I love when I sense and feel His presence. Nothing like it. If you've ever been, we call it slain in the Spirit, if you've ever been slain in the Spirit, there is nothing like it. If you've ever got caught up in holy laughter, there is nothing like it. But here's the key. All of those things are intended to cultivate, number one, a greater love for Jesus and a greater compassion for the people that He died for. See, a passion for God should produce a compassion for people. If your passion for God doesn't produce a compassion for people, then you have perverted it and made it all about you. Right? I want to come to church and I want to feel what I want to feel and I want to sing what I want to sing and I want to hear what I want to hear. 
And if I don't have all those things happen, we didn't have church. I mean, I literally talk to people all the time that measure the success of their church services based off what did they feel and how many people jumped and who shouted in church today. I'm all in favor for all of that. Let's jump, let's shout, let's hoop, let's holler, let's have glory bumps from the front to the back. But let's see somebody get saved. Let's see somebody be set free. Let's see somebody grow in their relationship with God and be receive instruction, direction, and correction so they can go forward in who God has called them to be. If you don't leave here more committed to following Christ, then maybe we didn't do our job. But if you come in here every Sunday and you get challenged to love Him more than you've loved Him and serve Him more than you've served Him, and you get taught things that impart revelation and knowledge into you, that you're like, man, I didn't know that, now I'm going to do that, now I'm going to serve that, now I'm going to reach that, and I'm going to pursue that. And you come in here and you worship God with reckless abandonment. And yes, we feel His presence, and yes, we're changed because His presence changes us. And all of a sudden, chains of bondage are broken as you worship Him, and as you pray, and as you celebrate Him, and, and fear and abandonment and insecurity and pride begins to crumble out of your heart as you get in the presence of God, then guess what? That's a win. And God said, measure everything by it. Measure everything you do by the vision and the mission that I've given you because that is what defines your success. Number four, here we are. This is a little funner, lighter, easier maybe. We love God by loving people. We love God by loving people. How many know that at the heart of the gospel is a four-letter word called love? Let, let me give you two scriptures. First one's out of Galatians 5. The Bible says this, for the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. Maybe the entire Bible, but at least the Old Testament could be summed up in one word, one commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, think about that. How much do you love yourself? A lot. Right? You feed you when you're hungry. You clothe you when you're cold. Right? When you're thirsty, you get you something to drink. Right? In the middle of the night, if you're hot you'll get up and turn the fan on. If you're cold, you'll get up and turn the heater on, or you'll ask your wife to do it, one of the two. But you will do something about it, right? Because, man, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I am hot, I am cold, I am this, I am that. And you know what we do? We take care of ourselves. And then the Bible says this, if you want to fulfill the law of God, then just love everybody else like you love yourself. We thought this was easier than the last one. Just love people. How many know love does cover a multitude of sins, the Bible says? Love will tear down walls that nothing else can tear down. Let me just tell you this. When you go out into a broken, hurting world, the world has been cussed, ridiculed, scorned, mocked, and belittled. And then you walk in there and you start loving them, they don't know what to do with you. <laughs> if you cuss them, they know how to respond. Right? They've been cussed their whole lives. 
If you belittle them, mock them, use sarcasm against it, they know how to respond to that. But when you go in there with the love of Jesus and you start loving them the way God loves you, they are undone. They don't have anything to fight that with. They can't combat the love of God. It disarms them. It dismantles them. It leaves them literally with no weapon of defense because they've never been loved. And when I say love, I'm not talking about I love you so you can do anything you want to do and act any way you want to act. No, that's not love. Love understands there is a holy righteous standard established by God, and love calls you to that standard. Love loves you right where you are, but love calls you out of your garbage and your junk. And love says, hey, there's something better for you. There's a better way. There's a better life. There's a better purpose. There's a better plan. And I'm going to keep on loving you until you get there. That's love. Man, that is the love of God. Look at the next scripture. If loving others like we love ourselves isn't high enough, Jesus raised it one more standard. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Y'all say new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How are we going to prove to the world we're the disciples of Jesus? By loving each other. Just like Jesus loved us. Man, that raised the bar. (laughs) Loving you like I love myself means I might get you something to drink when you're thirsty. <laughs> loving you like I look like Jesus loved me might mean I have to die on a cross. It might mean I have to sacrifice more than just a glass of tea in order to help you know who God is and walk into the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. Now again, love is not, hey, do anything, act any way, live any way. Love calls you up. To where God's called you to be. But love, man, makes a difference. Let me give you another thought about love real quick. So people, look at this next statement. People don't connect to songs, sermons, and ministries. They connect to people. Now we need good songs, praise God, Stephen. We need good sermons, praise God, Pastor Keith, we need some. And we need good ministries, praise God. But you know what, at the end of the day, It's not songs, sermons, and ministries that people connect to. You know what people connect to? People. People connect to people. Two guys in our community, very influential men, very wealthy men. Both of them go to different churches. We got good relationships with them. We're friends with these guys. And and they both have personally told me, individually, privately, they both told me this. They said, Pastor Keith, I just want you to know, if I ever leave my church, there ain't but one place I'm coming. I'm coming to Liberty. That's the only place, man. Man, the preaching, the worship, the ministries, what y'all are doing over there, it's amazing. Man, if I ever leave my church, I'm coming to Liberty. They both told me that. And they've never left their church. You know why? Two reasons, I believe. Number one, God's called them there. Number two, because they're connected to people. They're not super impressed with the songs, the sermons, and the ministry that their church has going on. They wish they had more. But you know what they're connected to? The people. They love the people. 
And it's that connection to people that keeps them there. It's that connection to people that keeps them pushing and praying and, 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 and pressing for more that God can do in their church. And that's a good thing. But if we understand that part of our job is to love people like Jesus loves us, then we got to understand that, you know what, it's not enough that they come in and hear a song and a sermon and see a ministry. they got to connect to people. Everybody at church needs a friend. Everybody needs a friend. They need somebody they can consider to be their friend. Now, the Bible says he who has friends must show himself friendly. So let me tell you how we can become the most loving church on the planet. Really simple. Last year we had over 250 first-time guests walk through the door for the very first time. And I want to ask you a question. How many of those people did you talk to? How many of those people did you talk to? 250 people walked through the doors of this building for the first time Maybe only one time. They heard some songs, a sermon, they saw some ministry. But if they don't connect with people, they don't come back. Maybe the song will bring them back a second week. Maybe the sermon will bring them back the third week. Maybe the ministries will bring them back for a couple months. But if they don't ever connect with people, they'll never connect. No matter how good the songs, the sermon, or the ministry, they'll never connect. So let me, let me tell you how we can do this. Because we have a responsibility to love God by loving people. And loving people may, means that, number one, as a church, that we want to make everybody that walks through that door feel welcome. And that they can have a friend here at Liberty. So this is how you do it. Next Sunday, you come to church, and instead of talking to the people you do know, the moment you see somebody you don't know, go and introduce yourself to them. Hello, my name's Keith. I don't think I've ever met you. Now, see, I have people say, well, Pastor Keith, you know, I, I tried that one time, and, and uh, you know, we had three services, and, and, and I went up to this guy, and I said, hey, man, is this your first time here? I've never met you before. And they're like, no, I've been coming here for five years. And I was like, oh, man, I felt so stupid. I'll never do that again. So don't ask them if this is their first time. Just walk up to them and say, hey, my name's Keith. I don't think I've ever met you. Because if you don't know who they are, you've probably never met them. And then if you want to, you can say, well, how long have you been coming to Liberty? And then they can say, well, today's my first day or I've been here for three years. Man, that's awesome. What service do you attend? Oh, the same one I go to. Man, that's amazing. Which side do you sit on? Oh, you sit over there? No wonder I've never met you. We're like 40 feet apart. Just, just start to introduce yourself to people. And then from there, just let God work. Right? You ain't got to be best friends with everybody, but you need to be friendly to everybody. And if, and if enough people shake their hand and introduce themselves in that accumulation of people, somebody will find a friend. Maybe it'll be you. Maybe you're here and you've been coming for three years. You're like, well, Pastor Keith, I don't have any friends. Keep shaking new hands. Right? Keep shaking new hands. Don't sit on your chair and say, nobody talks to me. No. Go find somebody you don't know. Introduce yourself. 
Well, they're kind of weird looking. They're probably thinking, thinking the same thing about you, but go ahead. Just introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Keith. What's your name? I don't think I've ever met you. And all of a sudden, you know what happens? It creates an opportunity for people to connect with people. And if they don't like the sermon I preach because they connected to you, they'll come back next week and maybe I'll do better. And if they don't like the song Stephen sung, they'll come back next week and maybe he'll do better. And if they don't like the ministry we have, they'll come back next week and maybe help start a new ministry. But they got to connect to people. Well, Pastor Keith, isn't that your job? Yes, it's my job to be best friends with 500 people. <laughs> we all know that can't happen. I'm not that good. If I could, I would, but I'm not that good. But we can. We can all be friends. And we can all be friendly. And we can love people when they walk through the doors of our church. And we can show the love of God in such a way that people begin to cultivate real relationships. And they connect to people, right? That last statement says people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And once they know you care, guess what happens? That becomes an open door for evangelism, discipleship, deliverance, right? Because, hey, this person cares about me. And sometimes they say some hard things, but you know what? They love me. And I can receive hard things from people that love me. It just really is that simple. And we've got to do it. It begins with all of us. Let me give you the last thing, number five. Y'all are doing great. Last thing the Lord said, he said, just have fun. How many know serving Jesus is fun? I mean, Stephen's got a camouflage shirt on, wore a cool jacket on it. Where else can you do that but Liberty? That's like cool, Steve. He got nice glasses. You got new glasses, don't you? Ain't he good looking? Did y'all see? Did y'all see the, uh, the uh, championship game? Alabama was playing championship game. And that, that referee that was like really buff. Every time he'd do that, you know, I'd think of Stephen. I thought that. <laughs> He's my buffed up hero. <laughs> Just have fun, right? We need to have fun, right? Serving Jesus, loving Jesus, loving people is lots of fun. Right? It's lots of fun. Just have fun. Excitement and enthusiasm, right? Let's just put Jennifer's face up there. Excitement and enthusiasm, right, Jennifer? Excitement and enthusiasm, right? If you can keep up with her, it's exciting. You know, sometimes I close my eyes. I'm like, Lord, I'm wore out watching her. Oh, I love you, Jennifer. But you know what? You're never bored around her. You never wonder, does that girl really love Jesus? Does she really like to worship? No, that's not in your mind. Why? Because look at that last point on the last, last point of your outline. Excitement and enthusiasm are contagious. Right? It's contagious. All of a sudden, you get around somebody that has zeal and passion for life, and even more so, zeal and passion for God, and you know what? You want to be like them. You want to, you want to glean from them. You want to be around them. Nobody wants to be around boring people. Boring people are boring, right? And we ought not be boring. We ought to have fun loving God, loving people. There is nothing more fun than doing what God has called us to do and making a difference. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I'm going to let you just bow your head for just a second. We're about to close.
with every head bowed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and maybe you don't know who Jesus is, let me tell you, God's not boring. He is full of life, love, and zeal. There is no one like Him. And He died for you. Jesus died for you. That is the simplicity of the gospel. He died for you. He paid the, the debt of sin that you owe. The wages of sin is death. You deserve hell. That's the gospel. You deserve to go to hell. Because you have sinned, you have mocked God, you have rejected God, you've walked away from God. You deserve hell. But Jesus died and paid the price for your sin and my sin so that we could believe in Him and have eternal life. And that life brings freedom and it brings hope and it brings joy and it brings His life and His light into us. Nothing happens without Jesus. There's no new beginning. There is no fresh start. There's no do-over in life without Jesus. But with Jesus, you can live forever. You can break free of the fear of death because Jesus is Lord of your life. So if you're here today and you want to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, I want you just boldly to raise your hand. I want to pray to accept Christ today. I want to trust Him. I know I deserve hell, but I want to trust Him today as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive today the gift of life. There is an amazing gift that God gives, and you can only get it from Jesus, nowhere else. It's only Him. And He loves you. And He died for you, not because He had to, but because He chose to. That's real love. So if you're here today and you want to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, just slip your hand up really quick. We're about to close in prayer. I want to pray to accept Christ today. I want to pray to accept Christ. Father, I thank you for every person here today. And I pray that today you've stirred us up, God, that you would stir us up in righteousness. God, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. I thank you for taking us back to the basics. May we never forget. And God, may we daily live, God, these simple truths. God, help us just to live it out. And Lord, may each of us simply say, God, begin in me. Begin in me, God. Begin in me and let the basic truths of your Son be magnified as I live my life for your glory. Father, bless your people today. Keep us. Propel us. Use us. And glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.